And welcome again to the LSU Sports Podcast from the Red Zone Report. I'm your host, Scott Gerard, joined by co-host Tommy Johnson and Daniel Zollinger. Today we're going to be going over LSU football. There always seems to be some news trickling out there. Uh, we're also going to cover baseball, which uh, unfortunately ended its season last weekend, uh, and also some track and field wrap-ups since the, the championships just ended. Uh, guys, how are you doing today? Hey, doing pretty well, Scott. Good to be well. back on here. Yeah, right on, right on. Well, uh, let's let's get down to it. But before we get started, I just wanted to go ahead and uh, tell our listeners to hit the subscribe button. Follow us on Twitter at RZRLSUPod. And check out the website at the LARedZoneReport.com. Uh, so starting with football, uh, it's, you know, it's the, it's the off season. I think all the freshmen are in. They're, they're going through camp, getting their conditioning done. And, you know, there always seems to be some, some recruiting news coming out. Uh, earlier this week, LSU got a commitment from one of the top JUCO defensive ends, and Ali Guy. Uh, he's a big fella, 6'6", 270. He's the, the number five ranked JUCO defensive end, according to, uh, well, strong side defensive end, according to 24-7 Sports. And uh, I don't know if you saw his commitment video. It's, it seems like a new train here. These guys are putting a lot of effort into making these videos. He had an old-school television with, like, an old-school broadcasting message and committed to the Tigers. I, I don't know if you guys saw it, but um, either way, this this guy seems like a good get. Yeah, yeah the, pro- the production value on this stuff kind of goes up every year uh, as it kind of becomes just more of a, a bigger and bigger uh, event. And then, um, yeah, big defensive end, that's what you want to start building your classes early, especially on the offensive line and defensive line. We'll get to an O-line uh, decommit here in a second, but yeah, good to see yeah. LSU keeping up with that. And uh, they also got a commitment from uh, uh, Jordan Tolls out of Maryland. He was the number two safety in the country, at least according to rivals, uh, a four-star guy. And yeah, I mean, uh, the rich get richer as far as uh, DBU goes. Um, I imagine, you know, when, Delpit is draft eligible. He's going to go, so it's good to get someone else back in there. I hadn't done too much uh, research on tolls, but uh, a lot, a lot of, a lot of good talk about him so far. Um, I think uh, it's you know Corey Raymond doing Corey Raymond things pretty much, right? Yeah, it's, like you said, the rich get richer, and uh, LSU with a like you said DBU, you can't really uh, get any better than that secondary right now, and then we just keep adding to it. So good signs for uh, def- the defense and specifically uh, that secondary. And uh, I can't wait to see him on the field. Yeah, just uh, one note I had about Jordan Tolls. He's actually teammate, a classmate of uh, Damon Clowney, uh, Jadavian Clowney's cousin, who LSU already had him uh, for 2020 class. So it's pretty neat that we're getting two people from the same class from the same high school coming all the way from Maryland. So don't really know how they got that connection, but uh, Damon Clowney's commit probably influenced the uh, tolls here. Wait, Daniel, do you mean Demon Clowney? Yeah, I actually saw it pronounced <laughs> Damon. Um, I know it is Demon. It's I was going to say Demon. Or Demon. I mean, I wouldn't yeah, be facing off against a guy named Demon. but uh, I'd prefer to call him. I might go with that name change to Demon. <laughs> Yeah, he could earn the nickname in camp. Uh, who knows? But yeah, uh, I think we talked about this last or 
we were supposed to talk about last week about uh, recruits uh, kind of recruiting you know, fellow classmates or, or uh, players in their district, uh, that could have played a role. I mean, if it did, great. You know, I'd like to think that any safety in the country would want to go to DBU if it worked out for them. But, uh, yeah, he, he might have he convinced them. Who knows? Well, yeah, and that um, kind of... That kind of goes into what uh, me and Daniel were talking about earlier. Uh, you know, we're talking all the recruits come in. We've actually got a big time recruit on campus right now, uh, five star five star running back Zach Evans. And Daniel, what were you saying about him and his his offensive tackle? Kind of, uh, yeah, deciding saw, they're going to go play together. So Zach Evans is currently like the number one player in the country on a twenty four seven, and he's got uh, his teammate, one of his his offensive linemen, just committed to Bama about a week ago. He's a three-star player, so not as good, but uh, Zach Evans has kind of come out and said that they're a bit of a, a package deal, so that's not really what you want to see because that might mean he's leaning a little bit more towards Bama, but hopefully we can flip him. Uh, I know that there was the package deal situation last year uh, with uh, Ishmael Sopcher, uh out of Louisiana going to LSU, him and his brother, and then Bama flipped him, so we'll see kind of how it shakes out, but maybe not the best the time right now. That Bama did not did not uh, extend an offer to Rodney Sopcher, so the package deal did not work out. Yeah, and they they don't always, um, you know, you got roster spots, um, but uh, hopefully that could work out in LSU's favor, especially if uh, we can get Zach Evans's ho tackle to join him because uh, LSU actually lost a an offensive tackle commit this week with Cortland Ford. Uh, he didn't really say much other than he's just making the best decision for himself, but I, I'd kind of read somewhere that he was still kind of battling some injuries out of high school and maybe didn't perform as well, uh, recent LSU camp yet, uh, recently. And, you know, that, that could have played into it. They could have maybe, you know, told him it might be in your best, best interest to go elsewhere. Cause he, you know, when they offered him, he looked a certain way, but maybe now it's it hasn't sustained itself or, or something like that. Have you guys uh, you guys got any info on that? Uh, I don't really have any insider info about that okay. situation itself, but I but what I do know is whenever you're thinking about this, like these guys are you know six six two eighty five. They they look like grown men, but they're still high schoolers. A lot of them are you know seventeen eighteen years old, and a commit a verbal commit an early commit doesn't really doesn't mean anything until you sign that piece of paper in February. So, you know, the, the, I don't, I don't, t- I, I feel like this is just a, the name of the game. People commit, people decommit. Um, there's a lot of, you know, fluctuation and, you know, it's just kind of, you got to ride that wave when you're following this recruiting because that guy's liable to come back, you know, in two weeks or in, in a couple, you know, when he comes back for this, for a game over this during this regular season. So, you know, I don't think I, I try not to, I get, of course we all get excited when a, when a guy verbally commits, you know, as a, as a junior or as a sophomore, cause he looks great on film and he's highly touted, but yeah. I think you have to take both, take both sides with a grain of salt. Yeah. Kind of looking past that. Unfortunately, with his decommit, we're down to one offensive lineman for the 2020 class. And uh, usually in football, you have more than one offensive lineman on the field at a time. So <laughs> we probably need to pick up a couple more commits there. Uh, wearing a bit thin. So I know Coach O and uh, uh, Raymond will be targeting that in the next few months here. Build that back up. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I mean, 
uh, I mean, O's doing his thing. He's he's got LSU uh, going back and forth with the number two spot against Bama. You know, if they can keep the guys that already do commit and build off of that, uh, who, who knows? Maybe he could uh, come out on top of the recruiting rankings, which yeah. I think could help land the Zach Evanses uh, for next year and maybe his offensive tackle. I mean, that's that's the kind of momentum you want. Um, but what, what, what the the best uh, thing you can offer to a recruit, I think, is success. Yeah, Nick Saban's been able to do that. A lot of uh, Prospects have said that's why they go there. They want to compete for a title, um, which brings me to my to our next topic. Uh, it's never too early to talk about title odds, and I don't know LSU's obviously a little bit behind the pack. I think the best is obviously Clemson or Bama. I think they're like five to two favorites. Um, what, what do you guys say? What, what, have, what have you found? Yeah, I'm seeing uh, twenty to one on LSU. Uh, that's about it's still contention. Um, I like I like LSU above uh, better than some of these other teams that are that are getting better or getting well not better odds for the better, but you know they're favored more. So I like LSU better than Michigan. I like LSU better than, than Ohio State, which are both fourteen to one odds. So um, LSU. I mean, I think it's it's a value play if you're if you're interested in betting if you like that kind of stuff. LSU at twenty to one is not a bad not a bad play. Cause if, uh, things fall in line and, you know, I think the one thing that we talked about it last week a little bit and, uh, something to keep in mind for LSU is you can, we can lose that, L, that Bama game and still be, still make the playoff and still make the championship. So if that's like the major hang up, I, it's not, it's not as, um, not as pivotal that you, that you went out like it was with, in the BCS system. So, um, LSU at 20 to one is not a, I don't think it's like a, it's not a bad play by any means. Yeah. It seems like a pretty reasonable number. If you give them about, about maybe four to one or five to one to win the SEC. And then, so you're in the playoff and then you still got two crazy games left in the playoff to, to win the championship and you give them about 50% odds. in each of those, you come out around 20 to one, maybe a little bit higher. Uh, so it seems kind of on the nose. I would say, I uh, just looking at the list. One number that jumps out to me is almost insanity is Nebraska at 35 to one, a team that went four and eight last year. I'm uh, <laughs> not quite sure how they're going to win it all. So if your money's on Nebraska, I might have some bad news for you, but yeah, it's just been so centralized to the top with Alabama and Clemson, both at five to two and then Georgia at six to one a little bit. And then after that, it's a big jump pretty much to the rest of the pack and Michigan at 14 to one, but just Alabama and Clemson battling each other out every single year. Um, a little bit tough to make money, so you kind of just have to look down the down the ballot for a long shot who may just make a run and, and spoil the party. But hopefully, LSU can be that team this year. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I mean, they're going to have a lot of uh, returning starters. They're going to get Clavon Chase on back. Uh, Joe Burrow is in his second year with the offense. They brought in Joe Brady. Nothing but good things coming out of that. Uh, Sean Payton even said something, uh, you know, this week about how good he was at least helping with the run pass option and also helping to, you know, scout other teams as far as what they're going to do. So I think LSU's in a good position there. They, they can only, they can only go up basically. And, you know, I mean, it's, it's going to change week to week depending on what the games do. But uh, yeah, if, if LSU can sneak in as the number four seed, it probably could only do one loss though. I, I don't think they could do it with two. So no, uh, I think they, I, 
and and the so, and the odds on each on each game are reflecting that too. LSU's favored in every single game except for the Bama game. So, of course, of course. Um, well, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, but the baseball season played out not as we might have expected. Uh, they started out with high hopes, you know, coming in the preseason number one. Kind of took a dip, but it seemed they found their stride towards the end of the season. And uh, when FSU beat Georgia and all of a sudden LSU was hosting a super regional, yeah, it's like they, they got that hope back, especially the fans. Um, but unfortunately, it just, just did not play out that way. They, they played well, I thought. They, you know, there's some, some mistakes here and there that doomed them. Um, you know, but they lost two in a row to FSU. But, you know, I think just one or two or even three plays might have changed the whole series because, you know, there was some base running errors. There was, I don't know, there was, uh, you know, some were saying should Paul Maneri have pitched to uh, Drew Mendoza in the bottom of the 12th to got them their, their winning run. I don't know. You know, and you can question all that, but uh, it was a heartbreaking loss for the Tigers. Uh, it just... Everyone kind of thought we'd be going to, to Omaha, or Gomaha, as we like to call it. But uh, it just didn't work out that way. And, you know, you're just, you're just kind of left wondering why, you know? Yeah, I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Florida State. They played real well. They're, they're playing some inspired baseball coming off of, like, a, a not great season in, the a, in ACC play and to make it to, to Omaha. But, uh you know, I look back, especially in that game too. The two, like you said, you mentioned the base running errors, the the error by Zach Watson, and then uh, the freshman DiGiacomo getting picked off at third. Those yeah. are two. Those two. Yeah, that kind of stuff is demoralizing for a team, especially like you know when Zach Johnson gets he. he I mean Zach Johnson. Zach. Not no. We're not talking golf. Uh, yeah. Zach Watson uh, hits that RBI and then tries to take second kind of on a foolish play that's demoralizing because at that point you'd have a runner in scoring position and he's, and then he basically takes himself out of the game. And then the Giacomo, anytime you get picked off, it's a, just another demoralizing thing. And it's just, it's just stupid errors. So, yeah. uh, you know, you can't, you can't play in championship baseball and make errors like that. It's the same thing with fielding errors. And that's one of the reasons why I liked our chances against Florida State because in that first game, it seemed like they just couldn't field the ball. Um, but you know, again, got to give credit to uh, to Florida State for for playing some some real tough, gritty baseball, and uh, also give a shout out to uh, Fontenot for pitching an incredible you know what four innings or five innings. Oh, it was a, I thought it was six and uh, yeah, it was six and a third. He, he pitched his guts out. Yeah, and 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 you know, did you see the thing where uh, the Florida State coach like asked to see him after the game, Mike Martin? Oh, really? Yeah, yeah he, I saw uh, that video. Where he was kind of just saying or congratulating them, left it all on the line. Yeah, it was uh, amazing. He he went up to he went up to Michael Bonnet, who's the LSU like press uh, like press guy, comms director, and he was like, "Can I speak to?" Uh, Fontenot, you know, I just want to tell him good game. And so they brought him out of the locker room and he went up to him and he was like, look, man, you like, you pitched your heart out. That was an incredible like outing by you. Like, you know, I haven't, that's, that's one of the best like pitching outings I've ever seen, but you know, in my however many years of, of coaching, probably coaching since like the 1910s. Oh yeah. <laughs> and, uh, 40. Yeah. Well, back and, when they, uh, yeah. 
back when back when they play, didn't play with gloves. Um, <laughs> exactly. And so, uh, yeah, you like to see that. I, I was a little bit disappointed in the way that in the way some of Florida State's players carried themselves. Uh, but that you know that uh, that effort by the skipper to uh, to you know recognize how good uh, Fontenot was kind of made up for it. So, you know, good luck to Florida State. Yeah. Um, yeah. Back to what you're saying. Just those few kind of bang bang plays uh, that could have gone either way. Either I think just made or broke the game. You also think about like Saul Garza trying to tag out the guy, slide into home, and the ball slipping out of his glove uh, to get that run in the in the first game. Uh, and then you know Zach Watson got caught on the base pass twice, one in each game. And uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit rough to see that when you're kind of taste success and you know that you could have had it by flipping a couple of things, but uh, to fall short, uh, especially in your own house, uh, Florida state coming in here and then just walking in against 11,000 fans and taking two wins is, is rough, but I yeah. think it was a, a good run to end the season. Obviously you would have wanted to, to go to Omaha, but we'll take this, learn from it. Hopefully, build up on it next year you you did i did like to see the pitching performances uh, it was i i didn't really like to see cole henry get taken out in the first game well, after only one inning being hurt but then todd peterson came in uh, did his thing for a while before losing it a little bit and then uh, zach hess did well it was just that one big home run in the first game three run homer and then yeah. uh kind of went downhill from there and I just, I just feel like I kind of owe an apology because on our last pod, I signed off with, I'll see y'all in Omaha. And I just, I just really, I'm a little bit of superstitious when it comes to baseball. And I just really hope I did. That's all I could think about was I, 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 you know, I said those words on the podcast and then now I'm watching our, our Omaha trip just, just fall apart. So I feel like I might've jinxed it all. And if I did, I apologize to all the tiger faithful. (laughs) Well, I I don't, I don't think it came down to that. Uh, but we, we definitely appreciate the apology and, you know, we'd be happy, uh, making you shoulder all the blame for, (laughs) you know, the, the hopes of all these tiger faithfuls. I can take it all on. Thank you. Um, but, uh, you know, I don't think it, I don't think it was, uh, you stating that, uh, Skip Bertman actually said something. And, um, you know, this is also, it goes back to what we said last week. I think you asked if, if Maneri would be on the hot seat and, um, you know, he said something, he said, you know, if, uh, if a team wins it all, they, you know, you get all the praise, but if they don't, then the coach gets all the blame. And Skip said something you know, kind of insightful. He's won a few. He, he didn't win every year, but he's won enough. He's a legend. And he said, well, you have to have these big-time players make the big-time plays. And sometimes that didn't happen. And, you know, that's like, like this past weekend. Uh, you know, the base running errors by, by Watson. Uh, LSU having uh, a three-run lead going into the last inning and then giving up a home run to tie it. You know, that's, I think that's what he's talking about is yeah. they had the game. They they could have and probably should have won this series, you know, but they didn't. And uh, you know, congrats to Florida State. Not to take anything away from them because they were good enough to get there. It was just so close to the game. It's just those those little errors are what prevented them from going to Omaha. Not 
not your proclamation, Tommy. So I just I don't want you to take uh, I don't want you to be too hard on yourself about that. But um, you know, all they can do now is is look forward to next year. And you know, they have they're losing you know some some main players here. Obviously, Chris Reed's gone, um, Brant Broussard's gone, Duplantis, Watson, Josh Josh Smith, all gone. But you know, they have a pretty decent core coming back um, with Cabrera. Garza, I believe, is going to come back. He was, yeah, he was drafted, but I, but I think he's going to – okay. Yeah, he, he kind of came on strong at the end of the season, uh, which is, I think, why they, they're gonna, they lost Brock Mathis to a transfer, even though he did play in, I think, 40 games for them. Uh, but they also have Cade Beloso coming back. Uh, to me, the issue was the pitching. And I don't know if you guys uh, saw this. Scott Rabelais uh, actually had a good article in The Advocate about this because mm-hmm. – uh, we had talked about the injuries to the pitching and it's like, well, you know, what's, what's going on here? One, you know, that one injury, that's normal. That happens. Another injury. Hmm. That seems like a coincidence, but they had a rash of injuries, but you know, according to his article, the pitching coach and Maneri, they didn't really do anything different. It was just maybe a freak thing. Uh, cause they'd lost Jaden Hill. They'd lost Cole Henry. They lost Marceau for a little bit and Eric Walker. And, you know, like, like, like you said, uh, Daniel, he, he only, uh, Henry only pitched what one, one, one inning yeah, in, in a super regional. The the second. Yeah. So that's, you know, that changed everything. Uh, I mean, it, it didn't kill him cause, uh, Todd Peterson pitched a, a great game, but, uh, these guys a lot of them are taking summer ball off just to recoup, which is a good thing. So LSU, where it was a, a deficit this year, it, you know, it could be their, their greatest strength next year because they have all those guys, plus Nick Stortz, who never saw action, A.J. Labas, uh, Easton McMurray, who I think is their only left-hander. But they have all those guys coming back. So, you know, I hate to say it, but, you know, maybe we'll get them next year <laughs> with, the, with the staff that's coming back. Yeah, hope springs eternal. Um you just right. want to see these guys healthy and then just come back, reload, and see where it takes us. I mean, full strength, I think we're as good as anybody in the country, and uh, that's all you can hope for is just to keep everybody on the active roster and then live up to this potential that we have and hopefully win another championship would be over 10 years at this point. So I think everybody is kind of ready for that to bring it back home. <laughs> Yeah, because uh, I don't think LSU has gone more than three years without going to Omaha since 1986. So this makes two. Um, again, Maneri's not in the hot seat yet, but after next year, I don't know. If he doesn't make it to Omaha, there's definitely going to be a lot of pressure on him. And you know, even the, the Tiger faithful might get a little, a little uneasy over there at the box if, if they don't make it to Omaha because... Yeah, Omaha actually likes Tiger fans too. Uh, I think they say they're the best ones that go there because we we travel well and they're just very passionate about their baseball. So yeah, I don't know of any, of any like program that that or fan base that takes college baseball as seriously as LSU does. And Scott Wilbert said that in his in his opening press conference as AD. So there's you know I feel like you're right. Like if if there's not more success in the next couple of years, they might be out for blood. Oh yeah. Yeah, uh, but you know it goes back to what we were saying. It's like, who, who do you get to replace them? Uh, uh, maybe that that answer will reveal itself in the next couple of years. But um, I, I Maneri's gotten there before, uh, and they were 
um, you know, probably one healthy pitcher away from being able to take on Florida back in 2017. So, and, you know, again, they're uh, you know, only a few plays away from making it this year. So I don't think it's, they're in dire straits yet. They still got a lot of talent, still more talent coming in. You know, it's just uh, all the chips falling in place, I think. Um, but one thing we, we can celebrate is the, uh, the LSU track and field uh, coming home with some, some championships. Now, uh, as of our last podcast, I think Javon Harrison had already won uh, the national championship in the, uh, in the high jump. And I think either as we were speaking or right after we finished, he'd won the long jump. And I think he was the first athlete to do that, uh, you know, in the history of the track and field championship. So congrats to him. Uh, that's, that's a pretty tremendous feat. And then uh, Shikari Harrison did win her title in the 100 meter. She actually set uh, a record uh, with 10.75. Uh, she was actually, I think, one tenth or one one hundred of a second of coming in first for the for the 400 as well. Um, but then shortly after, she she announced she's going pro. And <laughs> uh, Daniel, I wanted to toss this uh, to you because I don't know if you were saying it in you know in earnest last week or not, but uh, you made some joke about Antoine Duplantis going to play with the Swedish national team for baseball instead of the oh, U.S. Yeah. But, yeah, you weren't far off because his brother is foregoing the rest of his uh, college eligibility to go pro, but for the Swedish track and field team. So you, you were close, man. You, you're almost close with that assessment. Yeah, um, Shikari Richardson, uh, just an amazing performance, ran 10.75 in the 100 and 22.17 in the 200. And then I saw it kind of going around on Twitter, uh, going viral a little bit, just the fact that she became not only the first college athlete, but the first woman in history uh, to run below 10.8 in the 100 and below 22.2 in the 200 on the same day. So she did those events back to back. And I get, yeah, that's been done by other people just at a meet, but to have that type of strength to come back and just do so amazingly in two races on the same day is, is quite a performance. And then respect to uh, Javon Harrison as well. Just what an athlete to be able to win the long jump and the high jump. I know most of these people specialize in one event and they just practice that over and over their whole career. So to do two events, they're pretty similar in jumping, but to do two events and do them both so well, uh, it takes uh, a real special athlete there. Yeah, yeah it does. Um don't know if we'll we'll see that again because it as it hasn't been done before uh and yeah harrison i, I just uh i don't blame her for going pro i mean she's she said she was gonna focus on going pro but you know there's there's some olympics coming up that that's probably what she wants to focus on and if she's that fast uh you know who, who can blame her for that that was just a, an amazing feat um and i think that'll pretty much do it for us guys uh is there any any last thoughts any uh Anything going on this weekend, LSU or otherwise, you guys want to well, mention? I, I did see uh, a tweet earlier today uh, that Nick Saban was recruiting a guy, kind of like what you said about how Alabama recruits off success. And uh, 
he flipped a he flipped an Auburn commit, uh, Demoy Kennedy, by off by bringing in two tables in front of him. One table had like a bunch of championship rings, and the other had none. And he said, "Do you want to be part of which table? Do you want to be?" And the guy said, "I want to be on the table with the rings." And then he committed to Alabama. So, uh, you know, that's that. <clears throat> Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I wish we could say the same thing and put out year after year championships. We got a couple, but yeah, success breeds success, and you got to kind of give props to Nick Saban for having that level of talent come in year after year and being able to keep the cycle rolling. Yeah, and you know, you can't be mad at him. I think any coach in that position would do the same thing because these players will hear anything from a coach, anything they want to hear or think that they should hear, but. Uh, sometimes you don't have to say anything. You could just put your your title rings on a table in front of them, and that's that'll help make their decision for them. Uh, but that'll uh, that'll pretty much do it for us this week. Uh, if you enjoyed our show, be sure to follow each of us. Uh, I'm at Scott Gerard One. Uh, guys, go ahead and toss out your Twitter handers there. Uh, at at th Johnson two three. Yeah, you can follow me, Daniel Zollinger. It's at D.F. Zollinger. That's Z-O-L-L-I-N-G-E-R at Twitter. And uh, enjoy the pod. Thanks for having us. Yeah, you're welcome. You can also follow us at, at R-Z-R-L-S-U pod. And, uh, you know, you could also consider making a donation from the Support Us tab at the LARedZoneReport.com site. The more you support us, the more content we can bring you. Uh, hopefully next year, maybe we can bring you some some content from Omaha, unless unless Tommy jinxes us again. But uh, yeah, I won't mention <laughs> those words do again. Uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, but that'll do it for us this week, and we'll see you all next time on the LSU podcast with the Red Zone Report. Tommy Johnson.